Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts. Talk with uh, Jim out El Paso. How are you today? Doing great. Every winter when I start up the air conditioning, I get a smelly, damp kitchen rag type smell. Excuse me, when I go from AC to heat. Yes. What's the cause, and is there a prevent of that? And does it have anything to do with flex ducts? No. No, typically what's the cause of that is when you're running the air conditioning system, you've got moisture on the coils up in the attic. Well, the same blower is used for the heating system, and so the air still goes through where that moisture is, and it gives you that nasty odor that eventually burns off and you don't smell it any longer. Right. But it, it, it's just mostly because there's moisture there when you first make the switch from cooling to heating. Once the coils dry so, off, the odor goes away. So is that is everybody getting having that same problem? Oh, I won't say everybody does because, no, uh, usually it's an indication that your coils may be getting a little bit dirty or holding more moisture than they should. Uh, but it's it's not... It's not a very. It is a very common problem. Okay. All right. Well, I, I appreciate the insight, and I sure enjoy the show. Thank you, sir. You take care. Bye. Bye. Now, the the big thing is, can it be fixed? Well, in most cases, you can do something about it, but you will not eliminate a little bit of odor when you make the switch from cooling to heating because there's just going to be things there you know a lot of times especially at the beginning of the season the first time you're burning off dust that's accumulated on the heating coils and things like that and that will produce an odor as well so it really just depends on how long it's been since the system's been used uh, how much odor you're going to get if you start getting that wet sock smell now that's a different issue and that does require somebody to come out, clean the coils, and find out what's going on. Because usually that's a moisture issue that's building up too much moisture there and holding it. And so the water starts growing stuff that you don't need spreading through the house. But again, that odor is going to hang and linger. If it's just a quick odor that you're going to smell when you initially turn the system on, that's really not something you got to get overly concerned about. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Mike, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Jim? I'm doing wonderful. So what's it like down there at the show? Uh, you know, this is cold? the busy hours. It's, it's, it's the beer cold? nice. <laughs> is the air cold? Oh, yeah, it's nice and cool the, the, in Dallas Market uh, the Hall. The beer, the beer, the beer, the beer. Oh, I, you know, <laughs> I can't I can't drink beer when I'm on the air. Okay, well, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, listen, I just wanted to ask you a question. I'm a, a, a long-time Fort Worth uh, remodeler. Uh-huh. And I just wondered if you, uh, what you know or you can tell me about this new Texas law uh, about the insurance and roofing contractors. Well, basically what they've done is, and it's not just roofing contractors, although that's going to be the biggest one it affects. They've closed a loophole where uh, contractors 
in general, but roofing was the, the big ones who were doing this, would waive the deductible. And it's always been illegal to do that, but what they've done is added some pretty stiff penalties for doing it now. Not just to the contractor, but the homeowner as well. And it doesn't matter if it's a roof or if uh, you suffered uh, storm damage and have to have the house rebuilt or something like that. You have to pay the deductible or it's a felony. And so how are they going to police that? I mean, how can they police it? You know what my feeling is on that is, okay, what this does is it hurts the homeowner is all it does because sometimes you can discount an insurance project. Uh, Of course, you want to invoice the insurance company for the full amount that they actually owe. And then what's keeping me from giving a customer a discount if I want to? So I don't I don't get how they're going to police that. I think what well, they should have done is they should have had everybody licensed. And, you know, at one time we had a Texas contractor's license. Uh, correct. We paid our money. We paid our money. We went online. We took classes. And a few months later, they did away with the program because I guess they couldn't afford to keep it going. So I thought well, it was longer than that, but it's going uh, to get hold, rid hold on, of the because I'm going to disagree with you on, on one okay. part of it. Ah, shoot. i got to take a quick break. You mind holding on? Because I want to hold this discussion with no, you. No, I'll, I'll certainly hang on. Mike, are you there still? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, and, and you were saying, talking about the licensing. And honestly, I agree with you on the fact that there's a lot of stuff contractor-wise that should be licensed or at least somewhat regulated that's not. Uh, right. And, and I will tell you up front, I worked hard for two legislative sessions trying to get foundation repair licensed because there, there's chucking a truck going out there, tearing houses up all the time, offering lifetime warranties. They disappear. The warranty's gone, and homeowners are left holding the bag. You didn't have much luck at that, did you? Uh, actually, I darn near had it through once. Really? Yeah. We got very close. I, we got much further than roofers ever did. Uh but the the roofing is every bit as bad because uh, everybody with a pickup truck thinks they can be a roofing contractor. And there are, just like any trade-type uh, business, you've got to learn the trade. You've got to learn how to properly do this stuff in that. And, and that's where the truck and trucks cause a lot of problem. But on this deductible thing, you know, where that's coming from is just what you were talking about a second ago in that you, you were talking about being able to give the homeowner a discount. Right. And the issue with that discount is when you buy an insurance policy, you sign off agreeing to pay the first X dollars. And in in most cases, uh, and and in a lot of cases, you know, it's a $1,000 deductible or $2,500 deductible. In roofing, it's really gone to a percentage. It's 1%, 2%, 3% of the cost of the policy. I thought it was 1% 1 for everything now. Uh, Or or 2% for everything. Yeah. Uh, It just depends on the policy that you buy. Uh, Because you can still get the the, the dollars, you just pay more for it. But the problem is, if you come up 
with a price. That's the price that has been agreed upon to build the job. Who's paying for the majority of that job? The insurance company. If it's Contract. an insurance job, right? The homeowner. Correct. Correct. Yeah. The in the insurance company is, is writing the check for the majority of it. Uh, the right. the contract with the insurance company says that you will pay the first thousand dollar or the, the the deductible first, and then they pick up everything after that. And the reason right. that becomes so critical on stuff is on some of these claims that deductible can be a lot of money. Uh, and if the contractors aren't giving their upfront right price on it, it starts skewing the numbers that contractors are willing to pay. And by doing that, you're now taking out the contractors who follow the rules. In, in other words, my company, for instance, I do foundation repair, I do plumbing, and I do air conditioning. And so I do get into doing some insurance work, especially with the plumbing and air conditioning, but a little bit with the foundation. And the issue I run into all the time is I follow the rules. This is my bid. This is what I can do the job for. Chuck and a truck comes in, and they'll say, well, here's a bid for the insurance company, and you know what? He's going to be the same as me, but I'm going to discount it after I get the job so you don't have to pay the deductible. And he ends up with the job, and then six months later, he's out of business. I got you. I got you. Okay, so what this is going to do, though, is this is going to, because, you know, some people, um, some customers won't even show you any insurance paperwork at all. Okay? Yep. So that's fine with me. I don't care. We have a, you know, we do our bids. and The price we is do what the it is, yeah. Based on what we bid, and then we give them the invoice for what it is, and then it's up to them. But if they show me the insurance paperwork, and I can give them a discount. You can't always take their holding guns. Well, you just can't do it. There's not enough right. profit in, in it to do it, um, especially on these little homes. There's no way you can do them. You know, if you got a big home, you might be able to give them a little more discount. But what is what is breaking the law in invoicing the insurance company for the amount that they are required to pay, and then taking that invoice and putting a discount down there for the homeowner? I mean, I don't get why, how they're going to police that. Because, well, the way they're policing it and, and the way a lot of times the insurance, com uh, especially on roofing and things like that, right. you've got to show where you paid that deductible in order to get the last check from the insurance company. Gotcha. In other gotcha. words, they pay you so much up front, and then uh, they hold back a depreciation. And when you show that you paid the deductible, they write you the check for the depreciation. I got you. Okay. Well, I just want to, you know, I want to do things the right way. I've been a been a contractor for 41 years, and I feel like that we've been up front with everybody all through my career, or we still would be in business. Uh, I really liked it when Texas had a license for, for contractors uh, because I thought, well, this is going to get rid of a lot of the riffraff. And then I don't know how long it was, but you know, we did, did seven our, years. We paid our money. We took our classes. And then next thing you know, the state couldn't afford to run the program anymore, and they got rid of it. Yeah. So, I, I was actually like involved that. in that back when it happened. Yeah. Uh, and what what happened was it was the big builders who set that up to begin with. 
and it turned around and bit them in the butt because it made them hold up to certain standards that they didn't always want to hold up to. And so they, when the Sunset Commission came around, which was after seven years, they pushed and got it shut down. Oh, so are you telling me we were re- we were licensed for seven years? I. Yep. Uh, yeah, boy, time flies when you get old, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, so here I was thinking it wasn't long at all, but I guess what upset me was, and it's not the online classes were great and learned a lot. You know, you never know at all, right? So these yep. online classes yep. really helped, but I felt like, you know, okay, the money we paid them in and the money that we started with, because it was two or $3,000, I think, to start with, if you remember, and then, then so much per project. And... Uh, I wasn't involved in a lot of that because I have an office manager who handled that. But, yeah. um, but I just felt cheated. I thought, golly, here we went through all this and paid all this money, and now they don't have the program. And yeah. so I yeah. had no idea it went on seven years. I have to tell you, I just <laughs> getting old. Yeah, so I'm trying yep. to get it, out. It of happens. <laughs> yeah, I've been. <laughs> I don't like it. But so okay, so what I need to do? Okay, for instance, I get an insurance project. Uh, I get, because what I typically require is when we, like on a roof, for instance. Now, we're yeah. not just roofers, okay? Um, and we don't chase the hailstorms, and, you know, but we get our share when they come through. But, for instance, on a roof, so we don't require any money down. When we get done, we want their first check. Right. Then we invoice the insurance company for the balance, and then when they get that check, they call me and they pay that. And so that typically gets their recoverable depreciation. Then I was taking that invoice and giving them a discount, what I could, you know, not to not to get the big boys from getting the job, but to help the homeowner. So what this really is going to do is force the homeowner, because I think now I'm, when I invoice the insurance company, I'm going to have to put paid $1,000 deductible check number, blah, 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 yeah, exactly. before, they'll ever re- before they'll ever release. Uh, the uh, recoverable depreciation. Yep. Is that correct? Okay. I just want to make sure that I do things the right way. I was confused about that. You know, when you when they put it on the news, and then when the uh, uh, roofing contractor association president or whoever got on TV, it was like I didn't understand it. I didn't understand what they were talking about. So yeah. I, I appreciate you clearing that up because you know I want to do things the right way. Uh, it is going to affect some homeowners that are maybe not Absolutely. be able to do their roof. You know, yep. if they can't afford the deductible, they can't. They're not going to do their roofs. Now, then, if they don't, of course, they're not going to get the recoverable depreciation, and then next storm or claim, they're not going to give it to them. Exactly. And so they're, you know, they're getting. Yeah, it just it is what it is. So, yep. well, thank yep. you for clearing that up. I really you appreciate bet. it. And you I'm bet. a I'm a second time caller and. I've listened for a while. My friend Peter, he's the one that got me on to you, and he's just a friend. And he goes, Mike, you need to listen to this guy. So I started I started listening to you, and I've called before, and you've helped me out, and I just really appreciate you. And, and uh, you're a great guy. You guys have a great day out there. Have fun, and, and uh, we'll continue listening. I appreciate that, Mike. Hey, Mike, I, I was going to tell you, there's one more item that a lot of people don't realize uh, when it comes to all this insurance stuff before i got to go. Uh, when you buy homeowner's insurance and you set the dollar amount that your house is worth, you have set the dollar amount now. If something happens, say you're doing the roof, 
and and I'm I'm gonna just throw off a a, a bad situation. Okay. You're doing a hot tar roof where the house catches fire and burns to the ground. Do you know how much the homeowner can recover? Should be able to recover what the uh, house is insured for. And that's all. So if the yeah. homeowner has a $500,000 house that they only insured for two hundred and twenty, all they get that's is two twenty. dollars Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it, 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 there's a yeah. lot of stuff on insurance that people have to watch and, and be aware of. Let's head to Katie. Hank, this is Jim. How can I help you? Yes, I have a place in the country, and uh, maybe 4,000 square feet, and I'm looking for a radiant barrier, and I hear so many different stories. I just wondered what you thought. I love them. Uh, any I know, place, what kind? Uh, there's a company called Energy Q Radiant Barrier. That's where I order all my radiant barrier from because the one I like to use in most cases is a multi-layer system with a thermal break in it. And that's who I get it from. But it really depends on what you're doing with it. Because uh, like a metal building, for instance, the right radiant barrier for a metal building or for your metal overhead garage doors is a radiant barrier that looks like bubble wrap, but it's got the silver on one side. That works best on the metal structures that way. Uh, If you're trying to put it, say, in a shed, and all you're wanting to do is try to keep your shed a little cooler so so when you store stuff in there, you can use just a single-ply radiant barrier. The reason I use the multi-layer barrier is I lay it on the attic floor on top of the insulation. And I don't care what the really what the heat temperature is in my attic. I ventilate my attic and let, let nature take care of that. But the radiant barrier that I use laying on the attic floor keeps whatever heat is in the attic from getting into my living space. Well, what do you happens when you have to walk on it? it uh, you just walk on it. I mean, you can pick it up and try to tear it if you want, but you won't. Um, it, it's and, too strong. And dust, nothing, else, nothing like that, you know, through the years doesn't affect it? Nope. Uh, I've had the radiant barrier in my house for 16 years already, so it's got plenty of dust on it up in the attic. And I've got a 3,000-square-foot house. And I was just telling my wife, uh, actually, today, I was, as we were driving back from Dallas, that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that when I put my next air conditioning system in our house, I want to zone it. And she says, what for? Our electric bill is already so low. I run a $165 electric bill for a 3,000-square-foot house. The house was built in 1973. I've got about three to four inches of insulation in the attic and then that radiant barrier on top of that. That's it. I had two emails that came in that I'm going to address because both of them are kind of asking about the same thing. This one uh, actually revolves around a question that came on the show yesterday. And there's an app out there called Tackle App. And he says, Jim, I just heard the call from the gentleman with a question about Tackle App. That's been getting lots of commercial time recently. I recently had a need for a medium-sized painting job. Paint two ceilings, sand, retexture, and paint the entry hall, and paint one wall in a bedroom. I decided to check the Tackle app to see what it might cost. Get a ballpark. On the app, they quote some prices, but they looked awfully high to me. 
I'm guessing that tackle charges a pretty hefty finder's fee, plus the added uncertainty of the chuck in a truck factor scared me. And that's kind of, just side note here, that's kind of what I was talking about yesterday. I don't care for these apps, whether it's the tackle app or the uh, different, uh, oh, home advisor and all those kind of guys. They The contractors do have to pay a pretty hefty fee. A lot of times it's like 10% of the job. That's a hefty amount. You know, most of the time people don't realize, but your profit margins as contractors usually is not that high. Uh, you know, people think, well, you're, you're making 25, 30, 40%. Most contractors aren't. Now, the guys who you go in and, and they give you a price of 100000 but if you sign today, I'll do it for seventy. Yeah, they're they're trying to gouge you and make that kind of profit. But most contractors, to be honest with you, their range is five to ten percent. That's it. By the time they pay if it's a real business, by the time they pay their office, they pay the people who are doing the work and staff and all that kind of stuff, the money's gone. I mean, that's just the way it is. Anyways, back to the email. I ultimately wound up using a local painting contractor. He's been working in the Friendswood Webster Pearland area for years. Not only were his prices more reasonable than tackle, he was able to provide local references, and I know where to find him to follow up was if follow-up was needed. This guy did a great job, and I'll use him again. Roy. And... Honestly, that's the benefit of using your local contractors. When you start using these these guys who are, uh, you know, going through these services, you don't know where they're coming from because they can enter any area that they want to work in. Uh, so, the secondary email came from Jay in Sugarland, home remodel project. Any feedback on retaining? contracted and labor through a big box store. How does one go about choosing a contractor for a home remodel project? Thank you. I will tell you up front, if you deal with the big box stores, and you know what I'm talking about, Lowe's, Home Depot, places like that, if they book a contractor to come out and do something for you, there's a 20% surcharge because that's what they charge the contractor to do the project. So, Yes, the the store is somewhat standing behind the work, but they're charging you a hefty fee to do that. And if you do a little homework on your contractors that you're hiring, uh, you don't have that issue. Now, I will tell you, I do the the homework on the contractors you find on my website, thipro.com. These are sponsors of the show. I'll tell you up front. But in order for them to be on there, I've been out to job sites to see the kind of work they do. Uh, you know, and when there's issues, people aren't afraid to email me and let me know that there's an issue. And I do follow up with the contractor if something like that ever does come up to, to find out, you know, what's going on and what it's going to take to fix it. If you're wanting to get outside of what's on my website, you start with the BBB. Not that I think that's a catch-all for anything, but here's what I'm looking for when I check with the BBB. And it's really just one item. Do they have any unanswered complaints? That is the only way you get a bad rating with the BBB, is you don't answer complaints. Uh, you can have, I knew of, of one foundation company one time, he had a stack of complaints that was at least eight inches tall. I'm not exaggerating. 
yet he still had a good rating because he answered every complaint that came in. And as long as you answer the complaints, you held a good rating. They don't tell you that, but that is the way it works. Uh, as far as other ch stuff to check into, see if they've got an office. A real business has a place of business, not the garage, not the front seat of the truck. Do they carry insurance? If they're not carrying it at bare bones, minimum general liability insurance, they're not a real contractor. They're a wannabe. And on top of that, you want them to have insurance in case something happens on your project. I personally recommend general liability and workers' comp because if somebody gets hurt, you want to make sure that person's taken care of as well. So, you know, start going through and getting those kind of things. Then if you want to get even more detailed, you can start asking for References. When you talk with a customer who, who they refer, obviously they're only going to give you the good ones. But what you're looking to hear from the cust customer was, oh, yes, they did wonderful work when they showed up. You want them there every day, not when they show up. Uh, you can check with their suppliers to make sure that their suppliers are, are being paid. Things like that are what you check when you're looking into a contractor. The referrals are a big one, though. Uh, that that's the one because that's that's people who have used them and you know talk with them a little bit and you'll you'll get the the big scoop we recently moved into our home and noticed that the paint on the trim was peeling it seems that the original paint was oil based but whoever repainted used latex folks that's a big no-no my question is if we wanted to repaint the trim with oil based paint would we need to sand off the latex or how would you recommend going repainting the trim? Thanks for your help in advance. Yeah, it, it is a big problem when you try to put latex over oil base because it does peel off like that. And the unfortunate thing is once it starts peeling, you can't go over it with another paint. It won't stick because the latex still peels off underneath your new paint and that causes the new paint to peel with it. So you are stuck with getting that latex off, get it back down to the oil-based paint, or replace the trim. And, you know, it's one of those things that's very easily avoidable by not putting uh, latex paint on trim, because trim is supposed to be an oil-based paint. Now they use a lot of these Accolade-type paints instead, but once you have that issue, and I had it at my house as well. Somebody did that uh, before selling it. Uh, I had to peel it all off. And, and quite frankly, around the door trims and stuff, I eventually just took them off and replaced them. It, it was easier than trying to clean all that mess up. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.